0: Go ahead and have a seat, and I cannot encourage you enough today, open up a Bible. We're going to be looking at all kinds of different things in the Bible. We're going to look at about six, seven different verses. Open it up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, it's on page 2. Just uh, start turning there and, and, and have that open if you would. You may recall from last week, we talked about the five circles. The five circles of what God is calling us to and that inner circle is faith, and we've been struggling. Why is that faith circle getting so small? And why is it hard for it to grow, especially in today's society? And then we're gonna look at the top circle today, which is marriage and dating, and we're gonna, we're gonna focus on that to see what is it that God really wants us to learn about marriage and about dating. Well, as we start out, I found a couple of cute things I thought you would enjoy this morning. The speaker at our women's club was lecturing on marriage and asked the audience how many of us wanted to mother our husbands. One member in the back row raised her hand and everybody was surprised. And they said, you really want to mother your husband? The speaker asked, mother? She said, I thought you said smother. (laughs) (laughs) You ever wonder what a honeymoon is? Here's the definition of a honeymoon. It's a short pause between I do and you better. (laughs) Boy, there's a lot of truth to that one. (laughs) The pastor was visiting the fourth grade Sunday school class to talk about marriage as part of the lesson. He asked the class, what does God say about marriage? One little boy jumped up and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) My wife and I have found the secret to making a happy marriage last. Twice a week, we go to a nice restaurant for some good food. She goes Tuesdays, I go Fridays. (laughs) Well, today I'm going to take you on a journey. Uh, This was an an amazing week, I have to tell you. I, I think you know I have a passion and a heart for marriage. And God just keeps revealing where this whole thing is going and this whole ministry is going in terms of building up marriages. And today, knowing that I was going to speak on marriage, I began to do some research. And I had more fun. I went back into the Census Bureau statistics all the way back to 1870 and was studying marriages from 1870 all the way to 2008. I went into the Center of Disease and Control, which I thought was kind of an odd place to study about marriages and divorces. I, I just thought that's kind of weird. I didn't know it was a disease, okay? <laughs> but that's where all the information is on how many marriages there were, how many, how many divorces there are, how many people are cohabiting, how many kids are born out of wedlock. Uh, and I began to study all of that material and study the trends. And I was fascinated, I mean, absolutely fascinated. I was reading through hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents and summaries to learn as much as I could. And then I began to take God's word and I began to overlay everything else that I learned. So what I'm really doing today is I'm taking you on my journey this week so that you might learn some of the things that I learned. And I found them absolutely fascinating when it came uh, to what God has to say about marriage. See, let me ask you before we go to Genesis, if we, remember that pandemic of the swine flu that, we, that was a breakout not too long ago? If that would have affected 50% of Americans, do you think our country would have done something about it? You think so? Yeah. yeah, of course we would have. If 50% of our high schoolers dropped out of high school and never finished high school, do you think we'd do something about it? Yes, we would. But do you know that it's a statistical fact that 51% of all marriages will end at some point in a divorce? And yet, what are we doing about it? There's really nothing being done about it. And I was kind of staggered when I began to see this because I'm like, is anybody seeing these statistics and these summaries? And what surprised me, genuinely surprised me is when I was reading in the government, the federal government's document about marriage, that they're screaming in the documents that our society, which is based upon the family, is collapsing, and they said this. And yet there was no solution, there was no answer, there was nothing, there was this this call to do something. As recent as 2008, that the government recognizes that something's terribly wrong. But nobody knows quite what to do. Well, let's go back and see what God has to say about marriage, because I think if we go back and understand God's model, we're going to understand maybe why things aren't quite there today. Genesis 2, find verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the next few verses, God makes all the animals and brings all the pets. I love that. God brings pets to Adam because uh, he's alone and it doesn't quite cut it. So if you look at the top of page two, there on the right column, it's, it's verse 20 in the middle. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and catch, don't, don't miss this next part. And he brought her to the man. If you're married today, or if you're even dating, or possibly going to get married, the person that God has chosen for you is a gift from God that God brought you two together. It wasn't chance. wasn't coincidence. It wasn't luck. It was by design that God brought the two of you together. And that was by his model, because God was the one that determined it's not good to be alone, and so God made helpers for us to journey through this life together. And yet, for some reason, if we would just stop there and we would use God's model and say, all right, God, can we just do it the way you designed it, I think we'd be in a a radically different place as a nation today. But somewhere along the way, we decided that instead of doing it God's way, that we would take things in our, our own hands and we thought we could do it better, but we'll find out it's not. Start turning over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, it's on page 853. 853. And I think you're going to begin to get a sense of what God had in mind. And I think you're going to find it's convicting because we're probably not doing it the way that God designed it. And the further away from God's design that we get, the worse it gets. Hebrews chapter 13, find verse 4. I'd like you to read this with me, okay? Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's pretty heavy. The marriage bed kept pure. You can picture the bed. God designed it that it would be kept pure in its purity, that no sex would happen before marriage or during marriage with someone else or even if marriage dissolves, that it would not happen after that. God said the marriage bed needs to be kept pure. And I found some statistics that staggered me. 46% of all 15 to 17-year-olds have had sex at least once. 46%. When you get to age 19, that number jumps up to 70%. So 70% of our teens before they hit 20 years old have already defiled the marriage bed. But did you catch what God said after that? He says, for God will judge the adulterer and what? What's that next word? All. Ouch. Ouch. All the sexually immoral. What's the sexually immoral? Anything that's out of God's realm for what God designed for us. And we wonder sometimes why as a country, why are we struggling? It's because we chose to do things our way. One of the reasons why I believe that marriage is collapsing today is because of this verse. The marriage bed is not kept pure. As a result, we have more kids that are engaging in sex than ever before. By the age of 30, half of all women will have cohabited or lived together with somebody else outside of marriage. In 2008, 2,157,500 kids were born out of wedlock, and another 1.2 million kids were aborted in that same time frame the vast majority, all by single moms. When you start to look at the statistics and you start to say, wow, this is not good. This is not going well. And we wonder why our country is starting to struggle the way that it is. If we would just start going back to what God said, I think it would make a difference. Now, today, interesting enough, Couples are watching their parents get divorced, and they're saying, I don't want to be a part of that. So this is why they're living together, which is why half of all women before 30 will have lived together with somebody. But let me share with you statistics the statistics that I found, I mean, almost unbelievable. Couples that live together before marriage, within three years, 40% of them will no longer be married. 40% in three years or they'll no longer be together. At five years, half of all the couples that are living together will be split up. Within 10 years, 85%. And all of these statistics, it doesn't matter if you get married or not. If you start living together, it's 40%, 50%, 85%. Now let's contrast this. If you're living together, it's 50% at five years, but if you're married, it's only 20% is the divorce rate. At 10 years, if you're married, the divorce rate is 33%. At 10 years living together, it's 85%. At 15 years, it goes up to 43%. Overall, it's 51%. But are you ready for this? But if a couple prays together four times a week or more, The divorce rate goes all the way down to one divorce out of 1,052 marriages. Staggering difference. And what we have today is in our country, we have people that are making the conscious choice to do it their way and then wondering why we're going through so much heartache. Start turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, you can find it on page 809. There's so much that God said about marriage and about dating that I think until we really come to grips with this, even as a faith family, we're going to struggle. And so that's what we're doing today. We're coming to grips with what does God say about this? 1 Corinthians 6 Find verse 18. God says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. How have we done on that one? If God had to give us a grade, how are we doing? I don't think too well. Now, you don't have to turn there. You can make a note of it. But Galatians 5, let me read this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Listed number one sexual immorality. Remember, that's anything sexual outside of of the marriage bed. I warn you, as I did before that those who live like this and continue to live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's one of the most frightening verses. Do we realize that if we choose and make the choice to live the way that we want to live in terms of our sexuality, that God says we may be running, we are running the risk of not going to heaven unless we choose to stop and repent. And if you remember from Hebrews, it says all who are defiling the marriage bed are under God's judgment. And it's time that we come to grips and say, God, what is it that you want me to do in all of this? Okay, now hold that spot. We're coming back, okay? And I want you to start turning to Matthew chapter 19. Let's see what Jesus has to say about marriage. Matthew chapter 19. It's on page 696. The first reason why marriages are collapsing today, if you remember, is because the marriage bed is being defiled. Number two, we're going to find the second reason, and that's sin, or as God calls it, hardness of heart. That it's because of our own sinfulness, our own hardness of our hearts, that marriages are collapsing. Chapter 19, verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The statistics are staggering at how many divorce and remarriages there are. And yet have we ever come to grips with what God says that if we divorce and remarry, we are committing adultery. Or do we just say, look, that's just the way it is, and that's how society is, and we go on. And God doesn't go on. God says, let's face it. Let's come to grips with it, and let's talk about it. Jesus said this, too. This is very convicting. Uh, This is in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, we've got in America today, we've got a sexuality issue that's really, I think, plummeting our whole society. Do you realize that one million people are going to get divorced this year? One million. Imagine the heartache. And when I began to research the effects on the kids, you've heard some of this. Let me just walk you through this. Kids become victims of abuse. Crime goes up. Drugs goes up suicides go up, addictions, and what's, what, what was interesting about addictions is 30 years after a divorce for a child, after a child experiences their parents going through a divorce, 30 years later, they're, the, they're most prone to addictions. They perform poorly in math, reading, and spelling. There's higher dropout rates in high school and college. They become the economically poor in America and this one was staggering, 25% of all women because of the statistics of how many get divorced 25% of all women will wind up in poverty because they'll get married and get divorced and those that get divorced will be plummeted right into poverty and I found this interesting, do you know that every year our federal government actually does spend money to help marriages stay together? $150 million If we would break that down, what it means is that our government spends $285 every minute to help keep marriages together. But are you ready for this? We spend $285,000 a minute to subsidize single parents. It's kind of interesting. If we would spend more to keep marriages together, it would save so much more. But honestly, everything that I read don't know what to do at a federal level. How do we help marriages? But we just know that marriages are in trouble. The other thing that I learned which was really interesting, when you start reading, the government bring these statistics that when parents go through a divorce, one thing that drops off significantly is their worship attendance. I found that one interesting. Interesting. You've heard me talk about my heart goes out for kids because kids are leaving in droves today. And I found out one of the key reasons why. So when parents take their marriage lightly, I mean, sometimes I understand how marriages can get. I I mean, I've met with over 700 marriages. I understand. But sometimes when marriages dissolve, we don't realize what we're doing to our kids. Do you know the number one indicator, according to what I was researching, the number one indicator of marriages that stay together today is if the parents are still together, the original parents are still together. It's the number one indicator. The number two indicator is the faith of that child. When we talk about our faith circle, that we need the faith circle to start growing, it's not only for their benefit that they grow, but it also directly affects their marriage in the future. That if they have a strong faith, it's also the leading indicator of, of teens that are less apt to be sexually active is dependent upon their faith and dependent upon their parents. Now, I'm not trying to add guilt. I know some of you have gone through divorce, you've gone through remarriage. I understand, I'm not adding guilt. But I think we need to come to grips with it and say, so what do I do with this, God? What am I supposed to do? Let's go back to this. There was one thing that God said to us. If he summarized all of the commandments, the first summary was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Are you working to love the Lord your God with everything in you? That's the most important now, if you've got Matthew open, I want you to go back to verse 4. Jesus said this. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, don't miss this, what God has joined together, let man not separate. I hear so often that marriage is nothing but a piece of paper. That's not what we just read. Who joins you together when you get married? God does. It's not a piece of paper. It's when you present yourself before God and God joins your hearts together and God makes you one. If you want some good reading, go back and look at Malachi chapter 2. Because God talks about marriage in there and what's going on in marriage. But God's very emphatic about, it says that God makes us one. God does that. And so what we have in our country right now is we just have freely, people are just expressing sexuality, going into living together, getting married, getting divorced, struggling through all these And the effect on our society is huge. Now I ask you to turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians. Turn back there one more time. There's a third reason I believe marriages are collapsing today. Chapter 6, find verse 15. Just read the first four words with me, would you? Do you not know? Now you can read the rest. I believe that marriages today are collapsing because people don't know how to be married. It's why we do the Building Healthy Marriages class here because couples don't know how to be married. And if we would just turn the clock back a little bit and we would do it God's way, if we would stay pure, keep the marriage bed undefiled, love the Lord our God so that our hearts don't become hardened. And if we would learn how to build our marriage, we'll be in a different place. And that's what God wants us to know today. It doesn't have to be the way it is right now in your life. And that God really desires desires for it to be different for each one of us. Start turning over to John chapter 8, would you? John 8. It's on page 757. Here's what I want to recommend to you. Please, take this to heart, okay? If you're single, stay pure. Don't defile that marriage bed before you get married. If you have already, then today I'm going to encourage you when you come up for communion that you you say to God, I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness. I don't want to keep living this way. Forgive me. And then stay pure. If you're married and before you got married, you defiled the marriage bed with your spouse or with someone else when you come up today, would you lay that at the foot of the cross? And would you say, God, forgive us or forgive me and lay it here? We call that repentance. Then... Honor your spouse. Don't defile the marriage bed again. Then three, start building up your marriage. Take it to heart. Start building your marriage. Do everything you can to take advantage of what's here to build up your marriage. If you're divorced, let me encourage you this morning when you come up for communion that you would say to God, I'm sorry. And maybe it goes back to, maybe the marriage bed was defiled and you got married and you got divorced, come up here and lay this before God and just say, I'm sorry God, forgive me. I'm sorry, I know it wasn't in your will, it wasn't in your plan, it happened, I'm sorry. And then keep that marriage bed pure from here on out. If you're remarried, let me encourage you, come before God and say, you know what God? I'm sorry, forgive me. Forgive me that the marriage bed got defiled. Forgive me for my divorce. Maybe forgive me for defiling the marriage bed again and for getting remarried. Forgive me. And trust me on this. God is going to forgive you. But then don't defile the marriage bed and work to build your marriage. I want to take you to John chapter 8 because it's a great story about grace and God. Chapter 8, verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Did you know that that's what God said to do? Actually, in the Old Testament, if you were caught sleeping together with somebody outside of marriage, God said you are to take that couple, you are to stone them. And you were to rid Israel of the guilt of sexual sins. On the spot, that's what God wanted. God shows grace, and he shows grace to this woman. Now they ask, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to for, have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the women still standing there. I think you understand why. How many of us sitting here is without sin? Anybody ready to throw the first stone? I don't think so. See, this morning, it's not in judgment that we come. It's coming seeking God's grace and forgiveness. And every one of us has something that we need to lay before God. And that's what God wants us to do today to come to grips with it and lay it down at His feet. Verse 10, I love this. This is the greatest news. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Say the rest with me. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't think there's any greater news. See, no matter where you are, friends, right now, no matter where you are, God just wants to confront you and say, let's come to grips with where you are. And he's going to, in love and in grace, And in forgiveness, he's going to meet you right where you are. And when you leave here today, you'll leave changed. You know why? Because God will completely forgive you. Everything that's happened up to this point, God says, let's lay that to rest. You're forgiven. Don't beat yourself up anymore. You're not under judgment. You're not under punishment. You're not under discipline. You're under grace. Paul said it this way, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Friends, you're covered in God's grace. And I encourage you this morning to come before your Father and lay it right here. Just lay it all on the line. And don't leave here today with that same sin. Leave it here and go out and celebrate that you can truly go forgiven by God himself. Let's pray together. Okay, God, this was really convicting for every one of us. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. We're unworthy of your forgiveness, God, but this morning we come before you seeking your forgiveness for all the sins of the past. And we ask this morning that as we lay this at your feet that you would receive that sin and forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to be pure in your eyes, God. But we know what we've done. So we come to grips with what we've done and we lay it at your feet, trusting that you love us and you forgave us which is why you died for us on the cross. And we receive that forgiveness that you offered to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.